Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I will take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we'll update you on Pope Francis's comments on the possibility of married priests, as well as the current situation in Venezuela, and what those comments mean for Catholics around the world. I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New York, Jerry. Good afternoon from sunny Rome. Colleen, nice to hear you again. Good to hear from you, too. Whenever Pope Francis goes on a trip somewhere around the world, he usually invites journalists to join him on the papal plane, and he'll spend a few minutes taking questions from them. Pretty much every subject is on the table, and some of the Pope's most famous quotes have come from these impromptu press conferences, like his Who Am I to Judge comment about gay priests. But since he's speaking off the cuff, it's often up to journalists on board the plane, like Jerry, to translate his comments, to give them context, and to sort out what they mean. So we're spending our episode this week unpacking a couple of the Pope's comments from his flight back from Panama. And the first one is about married priests. So before we get into what Pope Francis said, I was wondering if you could give us a quick rundown of which Catholic churches allow married priests right now. Well, you have two groups, basically. You have the Eastern Rite Catholic churches, where uh, most of them allow the young man who's studying for the priesthood to take a decision before he receives the diaconate, whether he wants to be an ordained priest, celibate, or whether he wishes to marry. He has to make that decision before the diaconate. The other group of married priests are men who were married Anglican priests who converted to Catholicism and became Catholic priests. On the plane, Pope Francis said that he would not allow optional celibacy in the Roman Rite, as opposed to the decision that seminarians in the Eastern Rites make before they're ordained to the diaconate. Now, the whole system of rites and churches within Catholicism gets pretty confusing. But what we need to know here is that Francis is talking about making changes within the Latin Rites, which includes the Roman Rite that most Catholics in the U.S. are familiar with. Just because the system of optional celibacy exists in the Eastern Rites doesn't mean that Pope Francis is willing to implement them in the Roman Rite. In fact, he quoted Pope St. Paul VI, saying, quote, I would rather give my life than to change the law on celibacy. He closed that door, but he opened the other door because he said that in some situations, and he mentioned the Pacific Islands and situations like in Amazonia, that where isolated communities or communities cannot have a priest to celebrate the Eucharist, maybe for a year, maybe for two years, maybe for longer. Then Francis said, there is a pastoral need to have a priest. He said, theologians accept this, uh, that it's possible to ordain mature married men as priests. Now, these men would have different responsibilities than your usual priest. A priest has three roles, in a sense. One is governing, one is sanctifying, and and one is teaching. And here he's talking about giving them only the sanctifying role, right? Well, I wouldn't reduce to use the word only. Okay. Because the sanctifying one is very important. It means the administration of the sacraments. It means the celebration of the Eucharist. It means preaching. Uh, Governing would be relating to the government of a parish, Teaching would be then another thing relating to other functions. He, he says that, well, we cannot exclude that for the good of the faithful, 
for their sanctification, that we, in fact, can ordain mature married men to the priesthood. When you talk about extending some faculties of the priesthood but not others, it raises a lot of questions about what that ordination would look like, because you can't partially ordain someone. In his comments on the plane, Pope Francis made it clear he's been reading a lot about this. He quoted from memory this South African bishop who's been writing about ordaining married men. But Francis is not ready to make a decision on this yet, because there's so much for theologians to figure out. It's important to point out, though, that the Roman Church has done this before. On the plane, Pope Francis recounted a story that one bishop who works in the Vatican told him. This bishop had worked in a communist country, and when the revolution there began in the 1950s and the bishops there saw where the revolution was headed, started to ordain brave, devout men from the community. And this bishop talked about how moving it was, years later at a mass that they were all celebrating together, to see these men with their hands weathered from farm work, vesting for mass. But it wasn't just the 50s when the church did this. Jerry pointed out that the early church had some significant married priests. Do not forget, St. Peter was a married man. There were many, many married priests in, in the early centuries of the church. And I, I, I think, uh, you know, sometimes people get very upset uh, opening the door to married priests, etc. But I think it's uh, partly out of a lack of knowledge of what the history of the church has been. And I, I think we're seeing many new things with, with, with Pope Francis. And this could well be another one uh, of opening up this avenue. So let's look at where Pope Francis might be opening that avenue. Like Jerry said earlier, the communities where there's a need for more pastors now are the very isolated communities in remote islands or in the Amazon region. Because of this, the issue of ordaining married men is likely to come up in the bishop's meeting about the Amazon this fall. I've also seen some people reading this comment, you know, him saying for sure no to optional celibacy and, you know, let's think about it for ordaining mature married men as him kind of bringing the decision into his own hands and and maybe walking back all of the talk of synodality. But when you talk about him, you know, bringing it up again in the Synod on Amazonia, it seems like he's not walking back synodality. No, he's absolutely not walking back synodality. He's... (laughs) This Pope has no intention of walking back synodality. He is promoting synodality. And synodality means you you walk together, you talk, you pray together, you try to listen to what the Spirit is saying, and then you draw conclusions. So see, judge, and act. And I understood his comments on the plane exactly in this light. We have closed this door, but this door is not closed. It's open. So it's hard to tell right now whether Pope Francis is likely to make a decision on ordaining mature married men soon or even during his pontificate. We know that he wants theologians to study the issue more, and he'll likely be studying it too. At the Synod on the Amazon this fall, the bishops are likely to discuss what they think about this issue, and whether ordaining married men is something that they would want to do. But knowing that the Pope is open to this possibility will likely encourage the theologians and bishops discussing it to be open and honest in their assessments. Our next story also concerns South America, namely Venezuela. The day that Pope Francis arrived in Panama, Juan Guaido declared himself interim president of Venezuela in accordance with the Venezuelan constitution. He argued that the re-election of the nation's longtime president, Nicolas Maduro, was not a free and democratic election. And many countries, including the U.S., quickly moved to recognize Guaido as president. 
On Sunday, the Pope said, since I've been in Panama, I've been thinking a lot about the situation in Venezuela. He said, I feel very close to the Venezuelan people. I'm very concerned that a just and peaceful solution is found to the crisis in the country, which is a really deep political crisis. And uh, I want all sides to work together exclusively for the good of the country. In other words, not for partisan interests. Right. And he refrained from like choosing a side. On the plane, he was asked, many Venezuelans want to know, what did you mean by a just and peaceful solution that respects human rights? Are you supporting Guaido or what? Francis responded, he said that, I'm a pastor. I'm concerned for the good of the people in Venezuela, all the people. He underlined all the people. He said, if I were to say to those countries, that some countries that have come behind Guaido, I do this, or other countries do something else. He said, I, I would be entering a field that is not mine, that I do not know enough about, and I would do damage. Francis doesn't want to further polarize the country. He's well aware that his utterances, his statements, have a big impact in the Catholic country. And there are Catholics on both sides of the political divide. And what he's looking for is to get beyond the polarization, get beyond the impasse, come to a solution which avoids bloodshed. He said, I'm terrified of bloodshed. I'm frightened of bloodshed. So Francis is not choosing a side in this conflict, partly because he doesn't want to make the situation worse by making one side or the other feel abandoned by the Pope. But he's also advocating for peace because he's seen the damage that violence can do. Francis is very sensitive to this whole question of violence, of the disaster it brings to people, and the fact that it doesn't resolve problems. He experienced in Argentina the almost the civil war before the military ca came to power because you had left-wing groups carrying out terrorist attacks, you had right-wing groups attacking, and then you had the military takeover and you had the military crackdown that led to so many disappeared and led to terrible violation of human rights, bloodshed, torture in the country. He saw that firsthand. Mm -hmm. he, he didn't read it from history books. And he was involved, as we now know, in trying to save people from the torture, from being kidnapped, getting them out of the country. This is a pope who knows what violence can do in a country, what the equivalent of a civil war can do in a country. So in order to prevent that kind of conflict in Venezuela, the Vatican had tried to facilitate peace. Remember, about 18 months ago, he tried and he sent a Vatican delegate to Venezuela, Archbishop Celli, who was a top diplomat in the Vatican, a former top diplomat, he sent him to try and broker the negotiations. And that effort failed. But I remember when Archbishop Celli came back and he said to me, to others, that he, he was quite concerned about the situation because there were lots of weapons in the country, lots of guns. And the situation is highly polarized politically. And it doesn't take too much to light the flame that descends into civil war. And the Pope is very concerned that this should not happen. 
So after the Vatican's attempt to broker negotiations between Maduro and the National Assembly led by Guaido failed, they've tried to keep diplomatic relationships open with both sides. The Vatican tries to work in complete unity with the bishops in the country. The bishops in the country have come out strongly behind the Democratic National Assembly, but the Holy See, when Maduro had this inauguration ceremony, they had a Vatican diplomat at a lower level, a charge d'affaires, participate. Why? To keep open the doors so that if the situation gets worse and worse, they will be able to speak to both sides and counsel wisdom and try to reduce, uh, remove the possibility of real explosion in the country. Jerry told me it's likely that the Vatican's diplomatic corps is also working behind the scenes with other nations to keep the option open for each side in Venezuela to negotiate. And there have been situations in the past, like in the 2015 deal between Cuba and the U.S., in which the Vatican has worked behind the scenes to broker peace, even if the public only learns about it later. That's not out of the realm of possibility. So in both of today's stories, the Pope's comment about married priests and his comment about Venezuela, we see why these off-the-cuff press conferences on board the papal plane are so significant. They let the public know where the Pope stands on really important issues, and they give the Pope a chance to get his message out, which in this case was important to the people of Venezuela. This Pope knows that it's media coverage, even more than comments he makes in homilies or official Vatican statements, that helps him get his message out to the people he wants to hear it. Jerry will be on board another of these papal flights next week during our usual recording time, as Pope Francis is returning from his trip to Abu Dhabi. So we'll see you next week, just one day later on Thursday. Inside the Vatican is produced by me, Colleen Deli. Our executive producer is Eric Sundrup. Our news producer is Kevin Clark. Our audio engineer is Kieran Freeman. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Oliver Lazarus. Our studio manager is Leopold Stubner. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at americamag. For America Media, I'm Colleen Dully with Gerard O'Connell. See you next week.